broadcasting from across the North American continent of the Terran Empire, bringing you our unpopular Star Trek opinions since 2020. This is Code 47. Back again with the Code 47 podcast. Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, I, hello. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 you know, I love it. You just took the reins. Uh, no, it's bad. You know, I'm Charlie. You know who I am. You guys probably also know Katie as well. If you listen to uh, SFU Prime, as we so fondly call it sometimes, um, mm-hmm. she has she's a, a recurrent uh, guest host over there with uh, Todd and myself. Uh, and now she's over here on the Code 47 podcast where we talk about Star Trek uh, and Katie is Katie and I have known each other for a couple of years through the the cosplay con circuit. Uh, Katie is an artist; she's a photographer, and she is a trekker, which uh, I've really just learned a little bit more about in depth, uh, you know, recently uh, as we agreed to have you on the show. So, Katie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Tell uh, that you know, in, in case there are people who listen to the show that maybe don't listen to SFU, go ahead and tell people a little bit about yourself and kind of your 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 trek. Uh, prodigy or, or a pedigree pedigree there we go pedigree. <laughs> um well i joined the trekkie universe a little bit later uh than some i remember watching a couple of the movies when i was younger but i didn't get access to the actual tv show um my favorite one my mom and aunt actually had me watch because i'm obsessed with whales and so they had me watch the one with spock where right. whales are actually aliens and they have to like talk. To, I don't even remember which one it was called, but definitely my Star Trek, favorite Star Trek movie just because of that, because I love whales. Um, and then when I met my um, spouse bef- while we were dating, he learned I hadn't actually watched any of the TV shows. And so we started with TNG and then uh, it just kind of grew from there. Awesome and blossomed into the the mm-hmm. trekkery of you now being here with me. So yeah, we've got we've got an extra pack show. Uh, we we added a little half segment. We haven't done news for a while because we used to, we used to kind of incorporate news in the show, but it was uh, you know it, it made it makes more sense to kind of bring back as segment half uh, before segment one when we get <laughs> something really big, which we did. We got a big uh, announcement early last week. Uh, about the spring, uh, spring actually headed into summertime schedule for the Star Trek universe, which is a new branded name uh, of uh, Star Trek offerings that we see over on Paramount Plus. So uh, we are, you know, we got a confirmation uh, that Picard will finally drop. Uh, was initially supposed to be in February. Now it's going to uh, be a little overlap with the end of Discovery. Discovery's coming back to finish its season uh, on February 10. Uh, they've got six episodes left. They're going to, you know, kind of have the spot. This is going to be interesting to see when these these uh, these are. Well, I would say when these are going to be on. That's, that's really <laughs> old, old school thinking to me because stuff is on when it's on. That's the streaming world. But yeah, uh, February 10 through 24, Discovery will be standalone uh, starting on March 3 through March 17, uh, it will share with Picard. Picard episodes uh, 1, 2, and 3 will drop. Uh, Picard has a 10-episode op- season, uh, which is going to take us through May 5. Uh, and then it'll overlap at the beginning of Strange New Worlds, which is the big, 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 
big announcement I was waiting on. I've just have just been so hungry for this show. You know what I mean? So th- this mm-hmm. is this is huge. You know, Strange New Worlds is is going to kind of carry us through the summertime. Uh, which is amazing. Uh, and then this this article kind of goes on to hint uh, about some stuff that we're going to see uh, later in the year, including Lower Decks again, which again, oh. I, I somewhat challenged. I, I know that I've got to go back. <laughs> I know I've got to go back and, and watch it. And, and, you know, Katie and Todd and I have done a little back and forth. You know, when I did the show uh, with my previous co-hosts, they were not fans. Uh, I... I don't know if if I was swayed by what they were saying versus kind of how I should be looking at it myself, but I feel I'm gonna, like I'm going to set it up so we're going to watch it again, and you're gonna, okay, okay, we're going to watch okay. it together because I I do think you need to have someone who can have a better appreciate. Well, I don't want to say appreciation. I understand if you if you don't like the show, that's fine, um, but I. I don't see how you can't like it because you have such a great sense of humor and you're not one of those. Well, yeah, you love Star Trek, but you also love the stupidity of Star Trek. I mean, let's face it, there's some absurdity there. And I feel that's what Lower Deck just loves to like really get into. Right. Right. So I can understand where there's some like Star Trek fans who are really like about the love of it and they don't, they kind of poo poo and try to ignore all of the silliness. Right. <laughs> it's gotta be, it's gotta be too serious. Right. Yeah, and so exactly. you get that absurdity and you get that adult humor and kind of the acknowledgement of like, Oh yeah. You know, right. there was a muck monster that was just trapped on a planet that killed, you know, one of the main characters in TNG just because they didn't like him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. You know what? That's fair. Let's. Uh, we should. We could. We. You and I could do an episode that's just lower decks. Like we could yes. say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna quickly blast through." Maybe it's both seasons. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. season two, which was the one that was kind of the bone of contention. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll just call it. We'll just call it lower decks, heels and feels, and we'll just watch the first two up, first two seasons, and then we'll just wow. kind of go over the overall feeling of it and oh what your gosh. what your final thoughts were. This is a ama- well. You may have just extended your run by another That's episode fine. because yeah. Uh, <laughs> just to let you know, Katie is going to be on with us for four episodes, which we turn into five because we're going to jump in and talk about Star Trek Insurrection, which we've not mm-hmm. talked about a movie in a long time. So so with that, that might uh, we might do a what, what would you want to call the segment? A, a heels and feels. I think that's a good way. To heels say. and feels. Well, I think, <laughs> I think we're going to have to do that after uh, after we do this. I like it. So I'm going to change the schedule. That's a great idea. So anyway, to wrap up the news story, Katie, your thoughts about this schedule? It's pretty ambitious, don't it's you think? It's very ambitious, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of what Disney's doing with their Star Wars, where they're just like, we're just going to make an entire network of Star Wars shows, and you know, trying all of this lore together and it's one thing when it's disney who is you know this mega corporation who owns like you know 80 percent of the media we consume it's another thing when it's paramount plus and it's doing this kind of stuff where i'm like do you have the reason like i love it it's ambitious but i'm just mm-hmm. a little i'm wondering if we're going to get the quality if they're pushing stuff out this quickly or trying right. to build this up like if they've really thought it through so as well, i like I to mean, say yeah. i'm you know uh cautiously and bit or cautiously excited about the stuff that's coming forward okay fair very fair i like that so gotcha oh my gosh yeah, I, i'm trying to figure out because i always try to name the episode as we're talking so <laughs> this would be a set up i'm just trying to put it so i'm going to call this a uh approaching approach to heels and feels 
<laughs> we'll start with that. We'll start with that and see if we come back to something else. So, so anyway, this is super cool. So obviously, uh, Prodigy is on now. Uh, that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna take a break, uh, lead into discovery, and then we're kind of off to the races. So, well, good. All right, wrapping that up. Let's get into speaking about Prodigy. This is where you know, kind of the rubber meets the road because we we have had some conversations uh, when Katie's been over there on SFU Prime about her disdain for a certain character. Uh, in Star Trek Prodigy, but right now we're going to talk, we'll talk, and we'll talk, you know, perhaps somewhat briefly uh, about these two episodes. Uh, we had, uh, have episodes seven and eight, uh, still of season one. Uh, Katie, I will let you read the description for episode seven. Go nuts. All right. So um, it's first contact, and that's C-O-N-T-A-C-K, or C-T. It says, when a mentor from Dal's past persuades him to use their Federation cover for personal gain, they quickly discover Starfleet has protocols for a reason. Womp, womp. Not at all surprising that Dal, uh, who is not Katie's favorite Star Trek character of all time, uh, (laughs) was basically raised by a don't really know how this got included, a Ferengi? Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm still kind of scratching my head because, you know, we've now learned that the Protostar... Uh, ended up in the Delta Quadrant, that Chakotay was the captain, and now we don't know where he is. Um, mm-hmm. But the, sh- the ship was left abandoned on this mining planet where we th- we find out even in this episode that Dal was raised by this Ferengi character. And if I was, you know, if I was smart, I would have brought up the link so I could not say this Ferengi character uh, because I don't <laughs> remember the Ferengi character's name. Well, it's not really that important. So <laughs> regardless, I know, I know, it's just absolutely terrible. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's not at all surprising that he has kind of the, the scammer uh, Ferengi. Uh, um, Damien Nandy. Uh, oh, there you go. Very good. I think. Um, who is a, you know, there could be something deeper to this. So this is a, a female Ferengi who is like, who is, you know, is kind of contrary. At least I thought it was female character. Oh, no, uh, she is. Yeah, who is, you know, in, in the Ferengi society, women don't wear clothing. Women don't leave the house. Women don't do much of anything at all. Um, but, of course, yes. uh, it was really explored in Deep Space Nine with uh, with Moogie, who is the mother mm-hmm. to Quark and Rom, that uh, that that females are clearly just as capable of men as they are in all societies, including ours. Duh. Because that's, you know, that's just what anybody who's not a moron knows. Uh, but why is there a Ferengi in the Delta Quadrant? Are they still in the Delta Quadrant? I mean, there's some mysteries that... that uh, and again, you know, geared that this is a, a kid's show, maybe, you know, they, kids aren't going to nitpick it the way that I am because it's me. Um, so it's kind of that suspension of disbelief part that maybe I just need to get over the hump myself. But, uh, yeah, this was a great example of how, you know, uh, first contact rules are are legit for a reason. Uh, you know, even for this, you know, crew of weirdo alien kids that we've got going on. Yeah, and it's one of those things where um, I really loved the, the aliens that they um, – introduced i don't remember what um brock called them but the the idea of them with the them using like vibrations and seismic activity to communicate it was absolutely beautifully done um i don't think it's wrong to nitpick them for introducing a female ferengi um nandi who by all accounts is completely bucking the trend of the ferengi culture so i'm guessing there's something to do with that there and also the fact that she was such a big part of dal's life Apparently, and there was never any mention of her before this. And we're eight episodes or seven episodes in. Right. And it's, again, one of the problems I have with Dell, where I feel like if they would have introduced this concept before, 
I've been like, okay, well, there's a reason why he's an utter asshole. It's because he was raised by a self-serving Ferengi. Okay, maybe I can get over it then. And But instead, they're just like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's this random backstory. I know we've been telling you that he was basically raised on this slave planet, but... No, he actually has this character that he's been li- that lived with him, or he lived with for and raised him for quite a while. So he obviously wasn't actually on the slave planet for very long, right? And it just it was it felt like very sloppy writing to me. I hear, and you know, in, in reading the Memory Alpha article, I'm reminded, and, and shame on me for forgetting, uh, Grant Nagaset granted Ferengi females the right to wear clothing in an amendment to the Ferengi Bill of Opportunities in 2374. So that was during D- DS9. Okay. Uh, yeah, which was meant to act as like a snowball effect, allow them to, you know, buy, you know, earn profit and become part of the workforce, so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I had totally forgotten about that. I was a little bit more, and don't forget at the end of Deep Space Nine, Rom becomes Grand Nagus. So those things probably continued as well. They, but again, not really understanding what she's doing in the, uh, in the Delta Quadrant. So yeah, I, I mm-hmm. feel like that's, that's kind of, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I'm a big fan of canon. I like those kind of things to be adhered to because it just, you know, I feel like I've always said about canon and a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts about it. But for me, I like canon because it really does give you a chance to kind of wrap your hands around what's going on and and not have things contradictory, this and that. I mean, you, you could go on and on about Star Wars and Legends and the extent of the universe. And it's a debate for another time. But yeah, I, I I would love to think, or it would certainly make me happy if there was uh, some kind of follow up to this where we found out kind of what she's doing out there. But anyway, um, not a bad episode. I enjoyed it, even with the sloppy writing. It does provide, uh, I think, some some connectivity between Dahl and I'm, I keep forgetting all the the the, the, the other female mm-hmm. the other female Gwen. Gwen, thank you. God, I got to get better at that. Don and Gwen, <laughs> you know, they, 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 you know, share some heartache over their terrible uh, parental figures. So mm-hmm, it's, yeah. it's character <laughs> development. So, um, so episode uh, eight is Time Amok. You know, this is not the first stealing of, is, is every title in this basically kind of a, kind of a lift? I wonder from something else because first contact was a movie and it was an episode. A mock time mm-hmm. was obviously a very famous episode. One before that was was Kobayashi, like Kobayashi Maru, which wasn't. But anyway, um, it, it's a familiarity thing, I suppose. So anyway, USS Protostar is fractured in time by an anomaly in a in a plot line directly stolen from Voyager. Oh, it doesn't say that, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> Hologram uh, Janeway must synchronize the disjointed crew in order to save this ship. Before it destructs. So yes, it is a it's a, it's a borrowed storyline. Uh, it was mm-hmm. uh, season seven of Voyager. The episode Shattered, if I'm not mistaken, was the name of it. And it was the same thing. You know, Chakotay was the lead character in that one. He had to go through and he recruited one of the Janeways from one of the timelines, and they had a gel that could bring stuff back into synchronization, and and that all worked for that episode. But this. Didn't exactly this did it in a way that I think really helped with the development of, and again, going to screw up the, the, the character name. I names. think it's Brock. The, yeah, Is Brock, it the, the uh, rock character. Yeah, the Rock, which you know, and again, that was just something we talked about when the show was coming out. She is a a Brinkar, which comes from a, a Star Trek novel series, uh, The New Frontier, which. Um, one of the main characters was from that race, and yeah, they're just giant, basically. You know, it's they, they look they're all a race of people that are like the thing from the Fantastic Four, big rocky people. Um, but this one is uh, is is a is a young female, um, which I think is 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 a pretty good twist as opposed to being like a big like we want you to be the security chief because you're big. So this is uh, this is a kind of a juxtaposition of that character because she at the end of it 
ends up saving the day by over, you know, she and the hologram Janeway work together mm -hmm. over an undisclosed amount of time for her to teach herself to be the chief engineer in order to solve the problem that brings everything back together. That I liked. I thought that that yeah. was pretty cool. And it was, again, one of those things where I felt like they had a really great idea because I really liked seeing Rock come out of her shell and be able to develop that. But it felt like the ending was rushed where, right. you know, you see the scene of her saying, I can't, I can't. And then the next thing you know, she's had completely built the warp time distributor thingy. Right. And then also figured out how to get Janeway's memory core back on. And I was like, I would have liked to see maybe a montage more of instead of having Gwen fighting the robot guy from her dad, like that was really cool. I loved that. Right. But instead of having all of that going on maybe spending some more time with rock and the development of her gaining that confidence instead of it just being like, you know, we see this really sad moment of her like missing her friends and going through that. But then it's just like, and now it's, and now she's over it and now right. it's done. And I was like, right. was, and it was again, one of those things where it just felt like the writing was right. lacking. Kind of let you let you down that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there was there was certainly a tendency within Voyager, like it as much as I do, that was it was well, it's you know eight forty seven, and the show's going to be over in you know mm -hmm. two minutes. Uh, we're going to have to wrap this up, and it was just a, like a very convenient like burp, where you know it was maybe it was too big of a story for a single segment or something else needed to be cut. So that's that's editing and pacing, which is obviously critical to any storytelling. But right. Um, you're right. I liked I, I did like the end result uh, where she, you know, gained some good character development and we we saw that she found a calling. Um, and but she, you know, they, they had to work together as a crew, which is obviously it's a big focus of this is is them all coming together and, and learning how to collaborate. So um, so, yeah, so I, I like this one, too. I liked it better better than the uh than the other one i would say for sure but um you know the question then becomes you know we've got this wrapping up um just in a few weeks uh where, where do you think the story's headed i mean what do, what do you think the rest of the season is really going to give us i think that they're going to see a little bit more as far as uh probably finding out that uh Gwen's dad is the one who stole the ship and then hit it or then it crash landed on the slave planet. And he was the one who had to do with that. And so then there'll be a mystery of probably finding out that Janeway's original crew is still alive, or there's something leading to them to believe that the crew is still alive and they'll have to kind of continue on that front. Because I don't think we've heard the last from Gwen's father, obviously. And, well, yeah, finding yeah. that, you know, and uh, the show is called prodigy and she is supposedly the prodigy. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that we're going to see a little bit more background with that. Right, exactly. So so would you say as someone who has not really enjoyed the character of Dahl, did these episodes help or hinder your feelings about the character? What do you think? Um, he wasn't in these episodes as much, so that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I like you better when you're not around. There you yeah, go. pretty much. Yeah. I mean, because the one time he was there in um, Time of Muck, he shows up and he had noticed that his crew was missing. <laughs> And then was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, basically like F off Janeway. I'm playing it sounds like some sort of version of Snake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. He is he's, oh. he's he is he's the Star Trek Bart Simpson. Oh, <gasps> Star Trek and, Bart Simpson. There you go. Yeah, that could be title. That's the thing that really just bothered is he just rem he reminds me so much of the characters that I saw in cartoons growing up of just this really egotistical, incompetent little boy. And then as the little girl watching these shows, having to see the, you know, the girls that I related to, like Gwen and Rock, having to be more confident and having to grow as characters so that they could sport 
this kind of spoiled kid who just came in with the audacity, assuming that he could be the leader. Right. Right. Exactly. Correct. Oh, man. My, my, my. Well, more. Yeah. (laughs) More to come on that. But uh, time to move on to segment two. And I, you know what? I'm not I'm not going to make you sing it because Peter (laughs) always jumped in and sang it. But if you want to, I'm not going to stop you. But yeah, segment two. It's been a long road. We'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Maybe next time. I wasn't prepared to sing this time. All right. Megan, psych yourself (laughs) up. No, there you go. Um, But yeah, uh, we've moved beyond uh, uh, season two of TOS. May it rest in peace. It's it's still out there if you want to go watch it. But uh, no, the intention is is that, you know, since the beginning of the show, we've been moving through uh, kind of a season at a time. But we, you know, we did all the season ones and now we're into doing all the season two. So we've gotten through TOS and now we're headed into season. Season two of Star Trek, The Next Generation ran. Let's see, I'm just going to pluck some random facts out of the top of my head. This was the 1988 to 89 season. It was cut short by a 1988 writer strike. So it is 22 episodes instead of the 26, which is like crazy. The shows used to have 26 episodes in a season. When now, and it's funny because I've said it time and again, now I'm, I'm happy when a, a season is 10 episodes because it's, it's like it's just enough. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's mm-hmm. just it's just enough so things don't get so, you know, even though you'll still get a filler here, a filler there, uh, even with the best of shows. But, yeah, with 22 to 26 and or even like with season one of TOS, which was 30 episodes. But, again, that was you know, 50 years ago. Um, it's it's just too much. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're going to get some serious clunkers in there here and there. But at any rate, let's hop right into it. So season two. Uh, I'll do the description of this one. Uh, Episode one is The Child, uh, which is a 100% recycled uh, script from Star Trek Phase 2 from the 1970s, which was not produced. It became Star Trek The Motion Picture. But this was absolutely lifted off of that because in the movie we had uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. We had uh, Will Decker, who was Stephen Collins. We had... uh, Ilea, who was Pers- the late Persis Kambata, um, and they were the Riker and the Troy. That was who Riker and Troy was modeled after. But at any rate, uh, so this, yeah, it aired in November of 1988, directed by Rob Bowman and written by Jaron Summers and John Pavel and Maurice Hurley. Uh, Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Diana Moldar, who we saw twice in TOS in two different roles as a guest star, so this was her return to the franchise, joins the Enterprise while Lieutenant Jordi LaForge uh, now the chief engineer, uh, prepares the Enterprise to transport a dangerous plague specimen. Counselor Deanna Troy spontaneously becomes pregnant and gives birth to a mysterious child. Wow. There's a lot going on yes. here. <laughs> and, so, you know, I'm go just going to throw it out. You know, obviously, trigger warnings for lack of consent and sexual assault. Um because yes, this episode, absolutely. I am actually, I went back and watched a little bit of the first season just to kind of like prep myself and kind of remind myself of the characters. And I'm so glad I did because I think if I would have just jumped right back into this episode and watched these five episodes, I would have been so angry. I would have been like, Charlie, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank God. Yes. And and it definitely like there were there were episodes because we watched the first five. There were definitely ones that hit better than others, but just the complete lack of wherewithal that they had in their treatment of Troy and their treatment of um, uh, Pulaski. Just mm-hmm. I'm like, can we please have one female character that isn't just an absolute bench or just there for sexual appeal oh, and yeah. plot development? Because there was really no reason 
for them to have this entire segue with Troy getting watching her get impregnated but i mean because you see this little creature light thing go up the sheets and then her doing this weird moaning thing and then waking (laughs) up and i'm like this is awkward and we're not even gonna go into the the birth of this child and the faces and noises that they had her making there right and like that it just it was incredibly just disrespectful and completely mitigated the difficulty of childbirth and it has this kind of like magical childbirth of like, Oh, it's not that hard. It's not, I have so many, I have so many rants. I mean, we're not even going to oh Riker with (laughs) who's the father line. I was like, or Worf. And he's like, well, obviously we get to have an abortion. What? Why is that so obvious? Oh my God. Well, the thing is like Worf, I can understand Worf's because he's coming at it from security officer where he's looking at it going, you know, something has, impacted our crew and assaulted our crew right remember it has done nothing to show that it is not dangerous so mm-hmm. why would we consider it not dangerous right i mean and i do respect the fact that you know troy said she wanted to go through the pregnancy we're gonna completely go past the fact of like once she saw the baby and she's sitting there holding her stomach and she's like no i'm keeping i'm like yeah she was a it was okay. a papa don't, it was a papa don't preach kind of moment oh definitely definitely and then you know she says can me and picard goes okay that's the only opinion basically that's the only opinion that counts then we're keeping it right Fine. yeah exactly yeah he, ste- he stepped up good for right. you right and good. i think that they could have done the entire thing with the um Weird plasma virus or whatever it was. The yeah, the plasma plague or something. Yeah, yeah, plasma plague. That's what they could have done that entire storyline and developed that storyline without having the weird kid. Right. The only point of having that kid there was so that then the the virus or the plague could go start replicating when it wasn't supposed to be replicating, and then it had to die. And then you have what Data Riker and Pulaski just standing there watching Troy ball her eyes out after her kid just died and just like okay i guess we'll leave now <laughs> yeah well uh you know i got a thing or whatever so deuces yeah exactly oh my gosh and the uh <laughs> this was for these five episodes for me it was it was such it was uh, it was funny because when i was a kid and watched the show, i would watch the show with my mother and she said i'm, I'm always on Be- beverly crusher this was the season mm-hmm. she was gone and she came back so but my reference in particular she said so i'm, I'm always on Hair watch for Dr. Crusher because she, she always, Gates McFadden always wore a wig as Dr. Crusher and it would change, it would get longer, it would get shorter. With Troy, I was kind of on makeup watch for these first five episodes because, and I even messaged you when I was watching the first yep. one, I'm like, you got to tune in and look at Troy. She absolutely looks like the Joker with that suit. Like her face was white and then her neck was like a normal skin color, but it was like, mm-hmm. it was like liquid paper white. And I oh, think, yeah. I think it gets better over these five episodes, but it never again, it was, wasn't an issue in the first season, didn't end up being an issue in the third season, but they were really struggling with her look. And of course she has a lot of big changes in this episodes. You know, Riker has a beard. Woo. You know, Jordy, (laughs) Jordy got a promotion. He's chief engineer. Now Worf is now officially security chief. So they they both have different uniforms. Um, Picard, Picard's hair is incrementally longer, which is weird. I don't know. That's something I would pick out. Wesley got an actual outfit with a combat. So he looks like he's not just wearing that sweater. Uh, they still kept like the sweater material on the top of his outfit because you know you can't quite get rid of the sweater because I guess right. that's his identifier. <laughs> the sweater is my identity. Oh, ooh, that, that, could, that could that could be another great title. Oh boy, I love it. I love it. 
the sweater is my identity. I almost like that one better. So um, overall, it was I. It was an interesting way to set the tone. The, the show definitely feels very different in season two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you had a couple of plot lines that didn't greatly, you know, complement each other. So no. Yeah, but again, I mean, the whole season is still about the show kind of finding its feet. So uh, anyway, moving on, uh, episode two. Go, uh, that, this one is you. Go for it. All right. It says uh, the Enterprise becomes trapped in a spatial phenomenon. Uh, here they are subjected to unusual experiments by the whim of an unlike or of a being unlike any other they have encountered before. My, my, my. Nagilam, actually voiced by, there was a show... In the 80s with actor... Oh, okay. No, no, no. Okay. More more easily identified, there was a show in the 70s called Soap. It was like a soap opera-ish kind of... It was where Billy Crystal got his start and a bunch of other uh, characters. But it was a family and it was all their, you know, soap opera-y kind of stuff going on. The father was an actor called Richard Mulligan who voiced the Nagilam character in this... As I remember reading this book. He voiced the Nagilam character in this episode and Nagilam spelled forwards instead of backwards is Mulligan. So Richard Mulligan there, there, there there's, your, there's your little useless. <laughs> I did not realize so, that. <laughs> here, well, it's, it's, it's a weird thing that I read in my, you know, I had the Star Trek, the next generation compendium when, you know, when I was a teenager and read it cover to cover a million times. So I know all these little useless facts. So you're <laughs> welcome everybody. So, um, super forgettable episode for me, you know? Yeah. Big, it just was big, kind of yeah. random. Yeah, big space hole, malevolent uh, space critter. Uh, the big space hole thing kind of crept back in Discovery a few episodes back because they, they got trapped in a space anomaly or whatever and had to find their way out. So I'm like, eh, you know, I just, it's a trope. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know how you could do it any better. So I, I, you know, I just, I just find the episode very forgettable, particularly, you know, wedged between, you know, I think what I think is some of the better episodes that, that come after. So any other thoughts? Um, I think that it was kind of nice for um, Picard to kind of show the lengths that he would go because he literally tells this creature instead of giving you letting you kill half of my crew to experiment with how they react to death. I'm just going to freaking nuke my entire ship. Right. So like that is definitely like chaos goblin energy of, you know what, if I can't have it, no one will. Right. Uh, And I think they get down to like the last five seconds to turn off the... Uh, the self-destruct before mm-hmm. they figure out if uh, the little entity had actually let them go. And uh, I think it's, is it, um, oh, someone makes a comment to Riker about how like he really played chicken with that and left it to the last line. And Riker's like, did he <laughs> kind of saying like, right. I no, I think he would have let us blow up. I think he would have right. just completely taken out the entire crew rather than let him have it. And you know what? In that situation, I think as a captain, I, I would do the same thing, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. you know, oh, if, yeah. everybody, if everybody's going to die anyway, let's just let's go on our own terms. It'll be over quickly, mm-hmm. and there, and there's not the suffering. So, ooh, yeah, I know. But all those you know impossible decisions that that mm-hmm. the Starfleet captain has to make. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. I did. I like that part of it too. Now that you mention it, so mm-hmm. uh, moving on to episode three, elementary dear data. Did I read? Did I read the last one, or did you read the last? I read one? the last one. Yeah. So you oh read my god! Look at this. I'm all, <laughs> I just it's senior moments all over the place. Uh, this uh, yeah. So this episode uh, directed by Rob Bowman, uh, Brian Allen Lane, who's not a not a Star Trek name I recognize. So he might have been a one off. Uh, this was out in December of 1988, the Christmas episode. Well, one of the several. Uh, after Lieutenant Commander Data easily solves an ordinary Sherlock's 
Sherlock Holmes, how that mystery LaForge asked the computer to make Holmes a villain capable of defeating him. Whoops. Uh, the result, the resultant Professor Moriarty, actor Daniel Davis, soon becomes far more powerful than expected. Oh, this is a good one. Oh, my God. I love this. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they 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 put some thought into building some great holodeck sets. That would be, you know, 1890s mm-hmm. London. Um, Dr. Pulaski gets involved as the, you know, as you're seeing her start to rapidly evolve as a foil for data. We did see that in, you know, a couple of episodes back in the season premiere, how she's like, well, I don't really. And you saw a little bit of her disdain even in the second episode as well, where she's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, data's an android. And, well, you know, he, he's not a real. He's not Referring a real. to him as yeah. it on several yeah, occasions, exactly. even though like Starfleet has designated him a living entity, like living intelligent entity. Exactly. Um, and, and he's a graduate of Starfleet uh, and the second officer of the ship. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's <laughs> super duper disrespectful. Um, but you know, at least she, she kind of puts, she puts her money where her mouth is and saying, well, I don't think data could really uh, solve a mystery that he hasn't read. And then she, you know, she gets in and it ends up getting caught in the plot line uh, with with the Moriarty character, who is absolutely great. I get. I don't think I'd ever seen Daniel Davis in anything. He went on to be my God. Was he on that sitcom, The Nanny? Wasn't he on that show? I feel like he he was the butler in something. Yes, that I. Might I have he, been he, it. Yeah. He buttled. <laughs> that was his second career. But 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 lore. Um, yeah, I absolutely I absolutely love this episode. This was great, and it did spawn a uh, sequel episode in season six. Uh, where he, you know, Moriarty comes back and does a little bit more of it. So yeah. So what'd you think? I absolutely love anything with um with data. Um right. honestly. You know, is it Brett Brett Spencer? Spiner. Or, Brett Spiner. Spiner. Yeah, Brett Spiner. Phenomenal. Just phenomenal with how he treats Data's character. Um mm-hmm. so him and Jordy, I I love that combination. Um I know that with Pulaski, they were trying to do kind of like a McCoy Spock back and forth, totally. but it just kind of always makes her come off as just again an absolute bench, and she she's giving me eugenicist vibes, honestly. <laughs> like <laughs> where I'm like the way that you're talking and things that you say. I'm just curious if like maybe some of her ancestors came from a time in Germany at some point, sometimes because it's just Yikes. real rough. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. She, she, yeah. She. It's kind of really rough around the edges and tough to yeah, like. And um, yeah. I, I, I did. Um, I was gonna say I, I, I always appreciate the dynamics between um, Jordy and uh, and Data. There we go. Like the, I know in one. the yeah in the first season there was an episode where they had uh, him and they were painting. And so, oh my god! That was exactly so Jordy was of. trying to tell Data how to paint. And I think it's I don't remember it was Riker who yeah, came was in Riker. who said huh, a blind man trying to teach an android how to a computer how to paint. Right, he said that's got to be worth a couple pages in somebody's book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was that was so fantastic, and both of them being like, oh yeah, I guess it's kind of weird. just like doing their thing. Like those two right. are living their best life, and I am here for it i, I do I wish it. that they would have let data solve the problem because i feel like that would have been a better foil for pulaski's behavior and for right. her outlook on data because picard is the one who kind of came in to solve it and i get it he's the main character right. sure he's the captain um so that part was a little sad for me but i did love just like you were saying the sets and it was a really fun kind of you know it's a filler episode technically but sometimes when you're doing this kind of stuff and you're going with these heavy episodes where like you know they nearly destroyed the entire crew the episode before 
you need that breath. <laughs> let's let's make you laugh. Let's give you yeah. let's give you a little funny <laughs> ha ha and something to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, um, there was not a lot of enjoyment for you personally in this next episode as you were messaging me about this last night. <laughs> oh my god! So I'm I'm gonna let you take you take it away. It's all you. Oh okay. Um, the Enterprise is caught up in the schemes of a flamboyant space rogue on the run, while Data explores humor with the help of a holodeck comedian. Joe Piscopo. Yeah, Joe uh, Piscopo. Joe, yeah. Uh, the name of the episode is The Outrageous Okana, by the way. Yes. Uh, and this this was a character. He did go on to have a sequel of sorts in, in one of the comics, so I don't remember what the storyline was. But uh, this gave us a cameo by – it was so funny. I was watching it with April yesterday. I'm like, oh, that's Terry. She was Lois and Clark. She was in The Desperate Housewives. Terry, what's her – Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher uh, was the um, – and boy, what a what – a, <laughs> I really just didn't get this. She is the she's the transporter chief who beams him on board, and you know Okana's he's a rogue and he's flirty and he's charming or so to speak, uh, and so he's charming Riker and Worf and uh, Wesley standing there, and then he walks over and he starts you know hardcore hitting on Terry Hatcher's character, and she totally rebuffs him. And then, like, 20 minutes later, he's going to her quarters, and she's dressed down and, and ready to party. So it's like... <laughs> and again, Brett Spinner's face, though, when he sees yeah, right. her, and he's just like... <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> I love just the subtle sass that you get from Data sometimes. Yeah. Like, I know, I know. But yeah, this was an episode It was like, yeah, you, you don't see a ton of this in Star Trek. You know, you don't see a lot outside of your big institutions, Starfleet and the Federation and the Klingons and the Romulans and da-da-da-da-da. But, you know, there are other folks out there in the space lanes doing space stuff. So yeah, he's a, uh, he's a Han Solo with a terrible... Terrible mullet, by the way. Oh my oh, god! Oh, so bad. It's so Su- bad. Such an eighty style. But yeah, he was a total. Um, I don't know if if you are you familiar at all with the Star Wars now non canonical novel, The Shadows of the Empire. I have heard of it. I don't think I've read it though. There was uh, it, it, it took place, and again, it's non canonical, but it, it took place between uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and it's supposed to be you know what happened in that six months year period, which is now being very heavily diced up in the Star Wars comics right now. <laughs> but there was there was a character in there who was he was uh, kind of a Han Solo knockoff, or what uh, our my friend John, our co- our other college roommate and original secret friend, has always called the Kmart Han Solo. His name was Dash Rendar, <laughs> and Okada is basically Dash. Rendar to the point that the outfit almost looks the same. But Dash Rendar, and again, just trust me, go Google it. Dash Rendar still had better hair because uh, I just absolutely I'm Googling, not... I'm Googling it right now. Yes. Yeah. You'll see Dash Rendar. Yeah. The Shadows of the Empire is, is and I, I won't get too much into it, but it's an absolutely fascinating. Oh, much better hair. Yeah. Yeah. It's Definitely an absolutely much better hair. fascinating piece of it. It was the summer of 1996. <laughs> Lucasfilm came up with a book, soundtrack, video game, and action figure line. Uh, and, a, and a novel and a comic, uh, but no movie. So it was like all the things that you would expect from a spinoff except for the movie. And it was mm-hmm. – we were all – all of the Star Wars fans at the time were pretty much enthralled with it. It was amazing. But anyway, yeah, this – and then and then this this one goes on to have a, a very hackneyed plot line that caused you to almost ruin your computer. As you I did. I, I, I did tell you that I was – I think I was honor bound to throw my laptop because I'm watching this. And, of course, I'm already this Okana dude. I'm just done with immediately. As soon as he shows up. I'm done with them. I, and it's just, it was very obvious that it was that, you know, late eighties men writing what women think are sexy. And me <laughs> oh, is going, so bad. 
I'm pretty sure I'm attracted to men, and um, I might not be anymore. I'm after watching that. This show made me gay. How did it do it? You know, I'm already I'm already queer, but I think I have some news for my spouse. Because uh, no, you're, you're a funk. Sorry, Erin, we're done, babe. I think I fell off the scales of gay. Yes. Oh my god, there you go. I I would I will not put that as a title of the episode because I feel like that could get me the scales could really of gay. Get the scales. I feel like that could get me in some trouble. So I'm, I'm gonna back off that. But it, it 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 can be it can be the title within our hearts because it's a great yes, one. So he his his obvious male was and and his handling of the character just, just kinda, yes really bad yes. and it i mean it it was kind of funny to watch uh riker get a run for his money as far as creep factor goes um <laughs> the looks that wesley kept giving him in the background i was like will i want to know what directions they were giving you to have him look and looking at you him with some sort of weird like wonder and attraction <laughs> Because I'm like, is Wesley what? discovering something about himself within this, within this moment? <laughs> is like, Wesley on, is Wesley on the scales of gay? Is that yeah, what exactly. Because there were moments where he's just like, and I'm like, why are you staring at him like that? That is weird. <laughs> okay, I, I I I lied. The scales of gay is now the name of the episode. <laughs> I will, uh, you know, and no shame to Wesley. If that's his type, that's his type. You know, right. go for it, buddy. Gotcha. Um, but yes, I was watching it and, you know, I'm already laughing and kind of, you know, making fun of it. And then the guy, there's these two captains that show up and they're like, we want him. I want him because he broke the law here and I want him because he broke the law here. And the Picard at one point is like, you know, tell me exactly what his crimes are. And the guy, I go, I swear to God, if you drag up your pregnant daughter, <laughs> I will throw my lap and I didn't even get laptop out and the guy grabs someone off screen and pulls in this young four-shamed woman super pregnant obvious like fake belly pregnancy right he's right. like he impregnated the my daughter and by honor I'm like please tell me that y'all didn't get to the point of a spacefaring race and kept your 1950s pre like concepts of equality and gender normality all he all he needed was the shotgun you know (laughs) that was literally and then you find out later it's like oh no actually it wasn't him that impregnated her or that she had slept with somehow it was the other guy's son who had been accused and it was this whole kind of the uh like romeo and juliet tied into it somehow um which never made any sense because i'm like they're still gonna be pissed that you two are going to get married right. and have a kid. So I don't think this is going to magically fix anything. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was very <laughs> – and I mean, I think they they tried to fix it a bunch by having, like, Picard keep mentioning, like, the backward or the pr- regressive, you know, uh, morals and ideas of these cultures – but it still was like, that doesn't solve it. That doesn't. Right. You still wrote the episode and you still had it play out this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, very much a, a sign of the times and, and really not in a great way. So, mm-hmm. uh, so all right. So to wrap it up, episode five is loud as a whisper. Uh, from January, this was the first episode of the of the final year of the 80s in 1989, January 9, uh, directed by Larry Shaw and Jacques Jacqueline 
Zambrano, also a name I've never heard, so <laughs> obviously did not have great staying power. Uh, the crew plays host to a deaf telepathic ambassador, Howie Siegel, who I believe is actually deaf. I he think is. I read yeah, that. He yeah, is okay. a producer as well, I believe. Oh, you you know way more about him than I do. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so he uh, mediates a difficult peace negotiation with the assistance of his trio of telepathic interpreters. This this was one of those episodes that I feel like I didn't like I I didn't even see it until I became a, a like a like a, a real a more serious fan when I was in high school because I started out I kind of sort of watched most I think I watched all of season one I think I kind of fell off in season two and three though I got a bit here and there and it wasn't believe it or not all the way until season five that I was like a died in the wool I used to tape them and pause out the commercials that was always my my shtick so I could go back and study them and watch them because I loved them so much but this is one that I'm like I read about it in my the the next generation compendium that I was telling you about that I had, and I was like, I've never seen this episode, and of course there was no way to access it mm-hmm. uh, because they were in syndication. So it would it would you know it would happen by, and I would see it, but I had no way to find it when I wanted to see it. So this episode was kind of a mystery to me, um, and yeah, the uh, the chorus. Uh, because that he communicated with telepathically, and one of them was uh, one of them was love and logic and romance and oh my god, I got to go to the link because I don't remember. There's three of them, but they all represent one was his passion and one was yeah, his one was logic. His, basically his his libido. Um, yeah, and then one was his like logic and reasoning, and then of course the woman was the harmony and unification oh boy. that of brought course. everyone together in his sympathy. Right. Um, so. But uh, yeah, he immediately, uh, you know, gets eyes on Troy. And you know, like I said, I think by this episode, her clown makeup uh, had been tempered down a little bit, which is good because mm-hmm. you could you could see her coming uh, in, the, you know, with the lights off in the dark. Uh, with, well, with and with that first one, we definitely had given her like the blush of childbirth, oh. you know. Yes, of course. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, so yeah. So, what did you? What did you? Like I said, it was it was a weird offbeat episode. Um, you know, during the episode, the, the chorus is killed off because mm-hmm. he's trying to negotiate between these two factors. One of them uh, comes to the peace meeting, but decides to shoot up the place, and the, and the chorus is is zapped. And one of the weirdest special effects I feel like I've ever yeah. seen. I feel like they, they kind get, of figured out how to make that special effect. They were like, we're going to do this. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> and it just like, it's so they get zapped, but they, they freeze mid zap. And then you see them dissolve like the skin and then the muscle and then the skeleton just kind of, it's like a reverse transporter effect. And it was yes. like, uh, why did you just zap? you know, in the old show, when somebody got phasered, it was just a blue beam and they went blink, blink, and they were gone. It wasn't the, right. so it's like they were trying to like reinvent the wheel and they invented the wheel as a, as a square, you know, it just, it just did yes, not work. It was for very me. strange. Um, but it was kind of cool because I, I, I feel like, you know, in the end of it, uh, what Rebound was going to do is when he does beam back down to the planet and was able to get the other two, uh, the warring factions to the table is that he was going to teach them uh, ASL sign mm-hmm. language, which data was helping him with on the ship. And so that they would all speak a common language. He says, well, I may be here for, you know, this may take some time and whatever, but ultimately um, I think it was a good message. I really yeah. do. Yeah. And I think that um, really the only down part of this episode for me was the weird romance that he tried to have with Troy because, of right. course, has to have some weird romance with Troy. Um, but I feel of like course. every episode, either someone is trying to get in Troy's pants or Riker's trying to get in someone's pants. So it just is really the juxtaposition of which one is happening per episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which which pair of pants is being juxtaposed? Yes. <laughs> I can't make that the title, but it would be a great one. Which pair of pants is being juxtaposed? 
juxtaposed. I can't, I can't even say it. Oh my god, <laughs> the juxtaposition of pants. There you go. That, um, but that does not outweigh the scales of gay, so that stays. <laughs> but um, I really I enjoyed that how we see go um, was deaf, and so they brought in a deaf character to play, or they brought in a deaf individual to play a deaf character. He was using ASL. It wasn't some random like alien language that was made up, and it right. really showed the struggle of. Um, like trying to communicate and when those, com- when those um, communication avenues are removed, like how little a, our culture, uh, you know, provides for those types of disabilities and for um, those differences, if you're not part of, you know, the, the normal quote unquote um, kind of means of communication um, that end scene with um, Pulaski and, uh, Jordy was a little weird to me because it felt like it was just kind of like yeah. shoved in there. I'm um, like they and, needed time and, and never it, comes and never comes up again. It was yeah, th- it was filler no. within filler. It was so yeah. weird, and so it, weird. It was one of those things where if they had had just like a point earlier in the episode of Jordy being like, you know, I know that I had said because like literally the last time we hear him talking about his eyes is because he has this really beautiful, meaningful conversation with Howie's character as far right. as. Ravi, is that the guy's name? I think it's Ravi or Rivi, the 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 ambassador character. Ravon? Yeah, now I can't remember. (laughs) Um, We'll just say Howie's character. Um, He comes in and you know, I was talking about, you know, how he's has his chorus and how they have worked to like build out this communication and how it helps him see the world and how his unique perspective helps him as an ambassador, as, you know, and as an interpreter. Right. Um, and then Jordy's talking about how his sight and his visor help him see the world in that basically like he wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And then next scene that we see him, he's talking with the doctor about getting different implants and right. how she's like, well, I could give you your sight, like normal sight back. And there is no like transition between the two. And again, does not help with the fact that she's been coming off really against data. And now you have her coming off against Jordy's implant. Right. And I'm like, again, are, I just have some questions about your background, babe. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, do no, yeah. Why, why is, yeah. Why is as a physician do no harm? Are you mm-hmm. seem to be interested in harming people or putting people down? You're right. She's a, uh, she, oh, she's the, she's the Star Trek bully. That's who she is. Character is Reva, by the way. I did. Reva. I did. Click, there we go. I, I did click on the link. So yeah. Interesting episode. A cool message about, you know, uh, you are more powerful than, you know, when mm-hmm. you, when you take away your shtick and you're right. That, that scene with Pulaski and, and Jordy, could have been solved by him finally just saying, coming back at the end and saying, you know what? The, I, my visor is awesome. I don't want to give it up. It's who I am. So thanks, but no thanks. Or but just, that, did, that didn't happen. Yeah. Having him start the conversation of approaching the doctor, you know, Plasky and saying, hey, you know, I've been thinking about it and I would like to see if there are other options or, you know, right. I, I know I said that I really like this, but there is an immense amount of pain that comes with it. Can right. you help relieve that pain or something to lead into that conversation? Because otherwise it does seem like it was very much out of the blue and possibly because the first person you were talking in that scene is Pulaski. So it almost sounds like she's the one who initiated this conversation. Right. Exactly. He didn't come in and say, Hey, mm-hmm. re- it's really been keeping yeah. me up. Even though I think later on, she says, you know, when you asked me about this, but right. that asking that, that part of asking never actually happened. So it seems yeah. like it's just this weird, the weird timing, but overall I right. thought it was a very, very good episode. 
Totally, absolutely. Well, that is the show. Uh, because this season only has 22 episodes, we've got them split up into two fives and two sixes uh, mm-hmm. over the next. So we'll have another five to talk about next time. But oh my gosh, Katie, this was amazing. You, uh, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to continuing to work with you. And and we've extended our run by an extra two episodes. I'm going to go. Yeah. Put the, I'll go put the heels and the feels into uh, into the schedule. But with that, uh, please take us out. Yes. Well, um, I want to say farewell. Thank you for having me. And remember, wherever you go, go boldly. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're actually supposed to read this little blurb right here. Oh, well, sir, <laughs> I didn't, you didn't tell me that part. <laughs> it was right. Okay. Well, that's okay. We're, you know, because I don't edit the show, will you just do it now? And then you can come up with a second catchphrase at the end. So go for it. Okay. All right. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey and Region 13 on Facebook. Ooh, and then I can say my uh, catchphrase. Uh, Friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Well, fine. Captain Katie Pershawn signing off. (laughs) Code 47 is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for our great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to be part of the conversation, visit our new Discord server, or join us on Facebook, or follow us at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends on YouTube, and don't forget to visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.